what do you do with six months off? That, 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 sounds, <laughs> yeah. that sounds amazing. So wow, it um, some of it was amazing um, right. until my wife kind of realised that I wasn't really doing too much. So then, you a list. Then, then then the lists were coming. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the podcast, James Milner. Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. So um, for watchers, listeners, do you want to introduce yourself, who you are and what you do? Yeah, no problem at all. Um, so my name's James. Um, I've worked in technology recruitment. Um, so that's IT, um, digital recruitment for 20 years now. Um, up until fairly recently, I was managing director of a, of a large organisation. Um, but um, for through my own devices, decided to leave about a year ago. Um, had um, a little bit of time out, which was nice over the summer, enjoying the sunshine. Um, nice six months garden leave. Um, and then um, had six months kind of restrictive covenant, so I couldn't work for anybody else competitively. So I had, had a little bit of time um, learning um, some new skill sets, actually became an executive coach or qualified executive coach, um, did a lot of work um, in schools and universities with young people trying to get them into into tech. Um, and more recently have joined as a, an owner and managing director of a consultancy called Exalto Consulting. Um, and we do tech recruitment again. Um, we also do coaching in the tech space and consultancy services as well. Consulting, in, in what sense consulting? What do you consult on? Yeah, it's a it's a really good question. Um, so we've got associate kind of partners who are experts within IT, data, technology, um, who will help go into end organisations, looking at strategy, um, might be building teams, um, building projects, that type of that type of thing. Right. Okay. Second question: What do you do with six months off? That, 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 sounds, <laughs> yeah. that sounds amazing. So wow, it um, some of it was amazing um, right. until my wife kind of realised that I wasn't really doing too much. So then, you a list. Then, then then the lists were coming, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the shed was getting cleared out. Um, so I did yeah, I did some pretty cool things. So me and my brother had a bit of time out um, traveling in south of France. Very good. Tasting a lot of wine, um, northern Spain, went to San Sebastian, ate a lot of food, yeah. uh, did a lot of biking, did a bit of surfing. Oh, um, so that was amazing. that was Sounds pretty torturous. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, and then after that, yeah, I've just done a lot of learning. Uh, anybody who knows me knows I can't sit still. So, so I wasn't sat on my backside doing sweet FA. I was actually really kind of I, I suppose trying to improve on things so so as I said I did um, an executive coaching course um, I'm in the final throes of handing my dissertation in for that at the moment um, and actually a lot of practical coaching with that as well um, and then yeah spent a fair bit of time working with young people um, kind of in schools universities um, go just chatting really about how to get into tech or how to get into into the real world of jobs and you know, just actually dispelling a few myths of what work's actually about when mm. you when you're in school or university. Excellent. And so, so now you're you're back into the swing of things. Then, so I wanted to get a view from you, really, just in terms of the the market, the recruitment market, and the tech skills market as well. So, what's it like at the minute at the coalface? What's your view? Interesting question. Um, I think. Well, so there's a few things to this. I think, obviously, I've been out for the last 
last year out of it but actually a lot of my friends and ex-colleagues are, are still in the industry so i've been very close to to what's been going on if you'd asked me this question about 18 months ago you know two years ago i would have said it's absolutely buoyant nobody can find the skills that they want mm. salaries are going through the roof um i've got a very good friend who's uh software development manager of a, a large organization and most of his team were being picked off by remote working roles based out of london paying double the money for exactly the same skill set and obviously everybody was leaving to take take those roles over the last kind of 18 months um things have changed slightly i think it's still really hard to find very good people in very technical positions um but actually more and more people are coming onto the market. Um, we've seen quite a big move um, over in the US, obviously by Silicon Valley Bank um, going pop and then a lot of the big tech firms laying off lots of people. That has trickled down a little bit, even you know on a local basis. Um, a number of consultancies have let, have let people go recently and in, in quite large numbers. Um, and so there has been a bit of a, a wash back onto the market, um, especially within the software development and kind of tech space. Um, and also at the leadership kind of level as well, um, there's a number of people that I know at the moment who are in kind of program director or head of engineering type roles who, who are looking on the market. Um, so I think it's it's changed dramatically in the last 18 months. I wouldn't say it's terrible. You know, I've mm. been through a couple of recessions in my, you know, in my career um, and there's definitely been times when there've been, you know, floods of people looking. Um, but it is changing slightly and I think the market will probably be a little bit flatter this year and maybe you know, maybe a bit more parity coming back and some of those salaries dropping down a little bit. You are you are right. I mean, I remember 12, 18 months ago speaking to people, other businesses and developers were going for s silly salaries. I mean, we're talking 70, 80, 90 grand a year for, for devs, probably, which is very different to probably what I was seeing three or four years ago. Yeah. Um, so is, is that, are people still paying that amount for good software developers? They are for top, top talent. Yeah. Um, I, th I think what was happening kind of 12 months ago, maybe 18 months ago as well, um, and maybe you'll, you'll have seen this as well, Steve, is that I think people were getting a little bit scared that they were missing out on people. So they were paying inflated salaries for people with, well, or in my opinion, inflated salaries for people with not a great deal of experience on the basis that they felt that they weren't going to find anybody else at all. Um, and a bit like we we're talking about, kind of off air just before we, we came on, I think sometimes people were reacting a little bit in the market and hadn't really thought about the long-term view of what they were looking to hire for and, and suddenly had a burning platform within the business and think, I need somebody. I absolutely yeah. need somebody right now. So yeah. what can we do about it? Rather than planning a little bit further ahead. Yeah. You mentioned earlier, James, about um, sometimes, you know, large... Um, consultancy or whatever down in London were picking off talent up in the north, um, paying London wages for yeah. northern <laughs> living, which is like that's a win-win situation for for people up up here. Um, has that sort of dissipated? Um, and if so, why do you think that has? No, not not really. So it's an interesting one, actually. I, I would say still within the tech landscape, and, what, and when I'm talking about the tech landscape, I'm, I'm for clarity here, we're probably talking about software developers, anybody within the software engineering team, maybe data, DevOps, those type of roles, the, the hands-on doing positions. In most organizations we're recruiting for, there's still a very 
large focus on remote first or or kind of soft hybrid. And what I mean by that is kind of maybe come in the office once or twice a month. So you can get away with being located anywhere. Um, and so that's opened up these talent pools all over all over the country, but not necessarily just all over the country. It could be, you know, anywhere in Europe where you can have a digital nomad visa or, or what have you. So, so no, it hasn't gone away. I mean, we, we've had a, a, a role come through this week. It's a project manager for a software consultancy in a specific skill set, and it's remote. It can be anywhere, and so it's paying kind of eighty-five k. You know, so you know, obviously eighty-five k goes a lot further. You know, in Hull in or Hull. in Leeds, yeah. or yeah, it does in London. So, yeah. yeah. It's interesting. I, I expected to see, and I think I am seeing more businesses going back in the office just uh, over, over time. I mean, we, we we do. We spend most of our days in the office nowadays. And I think we see the value of that as well versus kind of working from home. I think people, yeah. communication is a lot better. Ideas exchange much easier when people are in and around each other. Is that, is that what you reckon? Yeah, well, obviously, I'm... I'm here with you, so I, I see that. The question I was going to ask James on the back of what you were saying was actually, is that still one of the requirements of your candidates that actually, granted, if, if you know if it's a if it is a sort of flexible role, as in where they're situated, obviously that speaks for itself. But when you're taking on candidates or you're analysing candidates, is that still one of their top priorities that actually they want to be home working 90% of the time? What, what's the sort of driver that's saying, James, go and find me roles that have X, Y, or Z? Yeah, it's a real mixed bag, to be honest. Okay. Um, and I think it'd be hard to quantify. I haven't really looked at the data sure. to give you an honest answer. But I, it, anecdotally, I'd say that still there's a large proportion of people who like being home-based, home probably 60 to 70%. Um, you know, and so again, I won't name the name. We're on the podcast, but there's a large organisation based in Leeds who have a huge office in the middle of, you know, in the centre of Leeds, um, which was mainly made up of software engineering mm. um, individuals, and they don't come in at all. It's just completely remote, um, and by and large, most of them like it. Now, mm. on the flip side, you will get people who go, "Look, I don't like this. We, we've my company's gone remote first. I don't like it." I'm now looking for a new job where I can come in the office as well. But it, that it does seem to be the minority. Um, it's a strange thing, though. Isn't it? So, you know, our organisation ourselves take away, you know, actually the candidate side of things. We like being in the office. We're a mm. four days in the office business, um, mainly because I, I suppose because we're a startup. We like being around other people, sharing ideas. Yeah. Actually, it's moving so fast that it doesn't really work being being remote all the time. So I personally, I, I like it. I can see the benefit of it, but I can also see the flip side of it that, you know, a lot of people seems to seem to like having the, the remote kind of option on that. Solitude. Mm. Yeah. Well, why do you think it is that the consultancy sector in particular has been seemingly hit in terms of kind of making redundancies probably more than others? <laughs> Interesting one. And, and I don't know whether that's a local one to us, yeah. um, just because I know that a few have been hit. Um, I think, Again, anecdotally, some of it is on the way that certain organisations have been run. Um, I think, you know, classically within consultancy as well, especially software consultancy, they often rely on large projects. Um, you know, and if one of those projects is pulled, then you could have a massive bench. 
Mm. And then it depends on how robustly you're running your business and, you know, what cash reserves you've got. It's the same as any business, isn't it? Classically, it's like then a lot of consultancies, especially when they've been owned by VCs or peers, are maybe pushed a little bit hard and, and don't necessarily have the, the war chests to be able to, to go through those times of, um, you know, when it when it drops back a little bit, you know, it, but it is a strange one because I don't know sitting here, this is just my view from the outside, but you know, you do wonder a little bit about, you know, who's actually running them as well and what their attitude is to it as, as well. Um, you know, unfortunately I, I have had to make people redundant myself in my time and that was through COVID, mm. but it was the absolute last, you know, last resort really. And you know, the what you see on the culture side of it, I don't know whether you guys have done it yourself, but you see on the culture side that it impacts it so badly that you you want to try and avoid it at all costs, in my opinion. Yeah. So it seems to be in a lot of organizations these days, it's a lot more cutthroat and it's like, oh, the numbers aren't quite making it. Let's just cut a few people and we'll go again. But I'm not sure they always think about the long-term cultural piece. Hi guys, just jumping in. I want to talk about one of the services we offer, which is robotic process automation, also known as RPA. That is software that replicates human behavior. So if you've got people downloading spreadsheets, attaching them to emails, going on portals, downloading information, moving data around, all that stuff is perfect for a robot. So if that's interesting, get in touch. Let's have a chat. Let's see if we can help. Enough from me. Back to the conversation. I think yeah, okay, it comes back to funding as well. If you've got private equity funding, venture yeah. capitalist funding, then ultimately those guys want growth, don't they? And that means pouring bodies into a consultancy business but ultimately, you know, as, as, as we found, the more bodies you have in the consultancy, that the, the bigger the sales pipeline you need to, to feed that. Exactly, and yeah. if you can't keep feeding it, then you end up with a bench and yeah. ultimately you can't keep that for too long. So it, it is a balance between investing for growth, but also making sure that you've got that kind of sustainable business as well. Yeah, no, agreed. Um, good stuff. All right, so what what's happening in terms of, you, you mentioned about working with younger people and getting them into, technology, which is something we do a lot of, you know, we, we tend to recruit graduates and bring them into the yeah. business and train them up. What what are the, I guess, gaps that you're seeing at the minute between when a grad leaves university and what they need to succeed in the workplace? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. And I, we, we touched on this last week when we had a bit of a chat, didn't we? Mm. And, and I, I suppose I'll go a bit wider with it if that's okay and kind of bring it back. But I, I kind of fell into this space um, a few years ago um, I was doing some work with Leeds Beckett University just on some of their careers days and they asked me to pull a workshop together and work with some of the people, um, some of the young people who were coming out of university and weren't quite sure where they were going and you know, to maybe have a conversation with them about technology um, as, a, as a potential choice for it. Um, and, and since then, I've been working with different groups, some in schools, some in universities. Um, and so the first conversation I had with, with the, the, the Leeds Beckett kind of cohort of people was very much focused around kind of awareness and trying to, I suppose, dispel the myths of careers that are available after university. Um, so I don't know about you guys, but like my career, I worked in, I've worked in recruitment for 20 years, but mm. no one says to, you know, your mum or dad when you're five, I want to be a recruitment consultant. <laughs> no, no one's ever heard of it. So, um, and, and, and I've always had a little bit of a thing on my shoulder of like, I, I never really knew exactly what I wanted to do when I left university. And, and I don't know, for some reason, I always thought it was 
that was just something that I had. But when I started chatting to people, it was like loads of people have got exactly the same kind of um, thoughts and, and maybe issues. And I think one of the things I felt was that there wasn't really the right kind of education available or or just telling people what was really available in terms of jobs. So look, everyone knows you can be a doctor, you can be a vet, you can, you know, all the all the classic ones, firemen, policemen, what have you. But nobody was talking about jobs that you might be able to get in IT, you know, and, and specifically how much these salaries were paid, you know, what skills you had to do to do these, you know. And so once I started chatting to some of these young people about some of the roles that are available in IT that weren't kind of coding in a dark room, locked away from everybody, not talking to anybody, yeah. it's actually like, you could be a salesperson, you could be a project manager, you could be an account manager. There's, you know, all these different business kind of roles that are available within an IT kind of organization. They seem to light up a bit. Um, and I just got quite passionate about it and really enjoyed doing it. So that's kind of where it started from. And then I started doing slightly different kind of workshops and pieces of work all around those type of type of things. Um, you're, you're right, you're absolutely right. And so so, so how do we solve that problem? Because if I want to recruit a, a developer, let's say, there's, there's a computer science course and I can go and recruit from that course yeah. essentially. If I want another him, God forbid, another <laughs> wow. di digital salesperson, <laughs> There is no university course for yeah. digital sales degree, is there? Yeah. So, and we do struggle with that, filling that role. We really do. Because like you say, nobody wants to grow up to be JV. But how, how, how <laughs> do you- I think James actually <laughs> said that, to be fair. How do, how do we recruit for that role? What's your, what's your advice? Oh, it, it, so it's an interesting one, isn't it? And I've taken a few bits that you said there, Steve. So <laughs> um, we'll come back to that one in a second. But um, so I, I think, one of the inherent problems, and I've, I've nicked this off a chap called Rupert from Huddersfield Uni, so shout out to you, um, is that I think that where we're going in terms of skills within the workplace, they are more, so careers are a little bit more skills based now than they are kind of education and certificate based, but the education system is very much still, here's a certificate, this is yeah. what, you've, what you've done. So the, the and look, I haven't got all the answers, but it's kind of piecing it together a little bit. And actually, are we teaching young people the right skills that we need for this workplace of the future? You know, tying in with your podcast, you know, the, the workplace of tomorrow. Um, my honest answer is I don't think we probably are, you mm. know, and we're also not giving them the education around the, the types of roles that are currently even available within organisations and what you actually need to do to get there as well. So uh, I think one of the other bits that, we, that I've been looking at a lot is kind of like the, the skills around your EQ really. So personal skills, interaction with people. Um, again, we talked last week, Steve, about the, um, there's a big piece of kind of anxiety and um, within young people at the moment of just actually coming into the workplace and, and actually not knowing what it's all about. Mm. A lot of people, especially in college, university, have done that through COVID kind of times. You know, they haven't even been coming into university, never mind going out into the workplace and meeting people. So a lot of those kind of personal skills, especially that you get in, within a sales environment, I think yeah. a lot of people are are lacking a little bit at the moment and, and unaware of what they need to use within a work environment. So interesting, uh, you mentioned about the, the skills versus um, you know, tests and certificates at, at the end of it. It's been a theme throughout a number of our podcasts where we're where we question whether we're educating 
our children and you know children's children for the jobs of today slash tomorrow yeah. um but interesting you should say that i'm gonna be i'm not intending to be controversial but um the whole you know the, the anxiety thing which is a very serious subject but it's kind of like just get out there and experience it you know so so more around that is uh, i guess for me is there should be more between business and colleges and universities to to get people to come in for taster days and things like that because i started on a completely different career path i was offered an apprenticeship doing something never even have a clue what was going on i went in for a day i tried five different departments said that was really interesting and luckily i got the apprenticeship in that particular area but but ultimately that was a long time ago but ulti- <laughs> but ultimately taking it away from it was, before he mentions it chimney sweep was one of them yeah. you <laughs> easy um but but ultimately i think there needs to be more done with you know um university students college students where it's like they start going in and trying lots of different things you know because ultimately if you don't i get the anxiousness and and an- levels of anxiety but if, if you don't actually know why you're getting anxious about it just go and find out and then go do you know what that's not for me and very quickly you can get a a, a sort of a, a green list and a red list of the things that you want to do and i think business and and educational leaders need to do more to get that working yeah it's, it's an interesting a couple of parts there aren't there so i think definitely there is a missing link in my opinion between some of the businesses schools universities colleges um there are some good companies doing some stuff around it and starting to make a make a difference i I did something this week actually which was called the tech green challenge which was in a school um with and and i was one of about 10 or 15 volunteers from industry and we basically went in into a school in leeds um, with a charity the head partnership um, and we were helping the kids who were they, they were like 10 and between 10 and 14 basically build a green sustainable app um, and it was that was a really good experience and it was clearly well thought out done with good people and, and it's it's a mo- you know it's moving in the right direction however there aren't a lot of these organizations doing that i think that they're missing this proper kind of you know when you go and actually do internships and placements, you know, mm. um, well, I've had a couple of people from Leeds Uni on uh, internships and placements, and um, and there were a lot of students who were looking for it, but actually not that many companies offering them anymore. Um, so I think there's definitely a missing link there. Um, I think the mental health piece is a, is a such a wide landscape that it's, it's a really tricky one to give it an absolute, you know, verbatim answer on it. I think so many people are suffering full stop. But I think the the overriding thing that I've found when I've been with some of these young people at school, um, kind of universities and some of the colleges as well, is that there's been different levels of anxiety about everything. So we did, I've done quite a few mock interview ones as well. So again, you go in and like try and help them prepare for interviews and stuff. And, and some people you get in there super confident, amazing individuals, you know they're gonna be a star in whatever they do. And other people can't even come in the room, mm. you know, and they're, they're clearly suffering with a lot of a lot of stuff and i think the the levels of you know in terms of proportion or the percentage is much higher than it has been in the past you know and i think that's probably where i was coming at it from sure um you know and, and i certainly find that within the 
the groups when I was at uni, when they're prepping for interviews, they're, they're anxious about about the interviews and that face-to-face kind of interaction just in general. Um, and so some of the sessions we've been working on is just a little bit of like how to, how to deal with that. And it's a bit of self-management really, um, you know, rather than necessarily some of the things that you might think you would be working on. It's actually mm. quite base level stuff. I think it's been a, bit of a perfect storm for grads, I guess, over the last two years, because you've got COVID where they probably haven't been given the exposure that probably not, you would have done four or five years ago. But then they're, they're coming out and getting jobs probably on very high salaries, actually, for yeah. their for their experience and knowledge. But then businesses are businesses in the day, and if they're paying high salaries, then their expectations of what they want off the back of that is higher as well. So yeah. you, I kind of feel sorry for grads over the last few years. I think it, it must have been a challenging time to go into a business, but. I guess speaking from our experience, you have to you have to give them time. You have to accept that if you're going to recruit a grad, it's going to take six months of working with them to and giving the exposure to clients, etc. Yeah. That you can't just throw them in the deep end, can you? It's just not it's just not fair. No, I agree with you actually, but I think a lot of companies do, and it's an interesting one as well. Going back a little bit to the skills versus kind of education piece, especially within the tech sector, and again, you guys will have seen a lot of this. There's a lot of these organisations now that do kind of boot camps, mm. you know, where they'll upskill somebody, uh, become a coder in eight weeks, or yeah, yeah. you know, all these type of things, and and look, a load of them doing great work, and there's a lot of stuff where you know you're cross skilling, upskilling people. But again, a lot of those are once you've done your piece, you're then presented to an end, end customer and then yeah. you, you're on your own and go and deliver. And often the end customer's paid a lot of money. Um, they want results fairly quickly. Yeah. Um, and you are in at the deep end again with it as well. Mm. So I, not many of them are, give what I'd call like more ongoing kind of pastoral care or even like upskilling over time. You know, it'd be interesting to see some of them going more down that route a little bit as well, where you continue to upskill people over time. Mm. We're also seeing, I guess, a lot of people re- retiring as well during COVID as well and and not necessarily being yeah. replaced. Is that is that fair? Are you seeing that in the market? Yeah. Um, and also a lot of people moving locations. So yes, definitely yeah. people retiring. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of the big ones I've seen recently, and I was chatting to um, a contact this morning, which is probably why it's in my head, um, actually moving over to Portugal. Um, so you're probably aware that Portugal has become yeah. a massive tech hub. <coughs> um, and so all, all the large companies are there. They're offering brilliant visas. You know, it's low taxes for companies starting up over there. Um, low cost of living. You know, it doesn't matter if you're British, you can still go and live there for five years. Like they're giving kind of, it's like digital nomad visas, but a bit more now as well. So it's, you know, so many people are, that I know are kind of moving out there for a different lifestyle. That's the next office then. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. yeah, Lisbon, yeah. So that, that's businesses like ours recruiting British developers, but British developers using a nomad visa yep. in exactly. Portugal. Yep. Interesting. Yep. And are they building? Yeah. Are they build- weekly one to one? I'll come to you this week. Uh, and are they building offices in yeah. Lisbon and Porto? And- yeah, so Lisbon's the biggest one, but Porto's following just behind. But um, right. yeah, the Guardian did a big piece about it as well. So yeah, it's um, so I know I know quite a few people have gone out there on some. Yeah, it's all of the large organisations you can think of. You know, um, all the large US tech companies are all out there now. Uh, it's it's great for a um, you know an employer's stance because the the taxes are so low. So they're Port- Portugal are actively using it to try and 
yeah. trying to you know boost their economy and they've done a good job of it and are, so are people moving from the likes of in india china development they bringing that more into europe or is, does that remain and it's uk uk onshore development resource which is probably going near shore that's a, it's a really good question there's a there's a, a bit of a mix there as well so we're see, still seeing quite a lot in eastern europe okay um still seeing quite a lot out, out in india as well um although cost of living's going up a little bit there as well so i have seen quite a lot yep. coming back onshore as well um and then yeah you've got a bit of the near shore stuff kind of like portugal and uh, as well but again the some of the salaries on offer out there are quite good as well so whether you'd save a huge amount by by going there i think you probably would do yeah um, but there's also just a level of people that you can find okay me again just jumping in to talk about one of the processes that we often get asked to automate which is the processing of supplier invoices also known as accounts payable automation so what does that mean well most businesses receive invoices from their suppliers and a lot of businesses still have people that are manually reviewing those invoices making sure that they're correct making sure they're accurate and then manually reeking them into a finance system and already or an erp system well, our solution can automate that process. So typically an invoice will come in, we'll use capture technology to understand what's on that invoice. We'll then match that data up against good receive note to make sure that we've received the product. We'll match it up against purchase order data to make sure that somebody has placed an order for that product. And ultimately, if we can match that up, we can automatically push that into an ERP system or finance system and nobody has to touch it. How good does that sound? If there are exceptions, if there are things that need to be checked, that's fine. We can use digital workflow to push that to somebody to eyeball it and say, is this correct or does something need to change? Ultimately, though, that can then be pushed again into an ERP system or a finance system. This is about making your life easier. It's about making operations as quick and as efficient as possible. And we do that all the time. If that sounds interesting, then get in touch. That's enough from me. Back to the podcast. What What about specific roles that are massively in demand versus supply? Are there, I know, I remember a few years ago, I went to a conference, they were talking about data scientists at the time, as so you just could not find enough data yep. scientists. Is that <laughs> is that still the case or are the new roles that you've got that kind of imbalance between demand and supply? Really good question. Um, I think it changes, it does change. Um, Cybersecurity, um, still, it's still pretty hot and data is still hot, um, definitely AI. I mean, it depends again on the level of quality that you're looking for within there so you know certain software development roles are much harder to find than others um you know again you know, going back to your business you know rpa process automation still pretty tricky to mm. be honest as well um so it's I, I would say data the the influx of data and ai roles that we've got as a you know, as a comparison throughout the business, we've we've probably got the highest proportion of data and kind of AI type roles that, that I've ever seen. And I right. actually used to be, you know, going back like five, six years ago, I used to be a data recruiter. That was kind of, when I was on like hands-on job, I, I was very much in the data space. Um, data scientists are still quite hard to find good people because when you're looking at true data scientists, my brother's actually a data scientist, a very, very good one. <laughs> um, when you're looking at true data scientists, it's very much on the math skills yeah. rather than the tool set that you've used. Um, and so you've got the competition from the big banks, the big betting organisations, you know, you, you by and large have to have a at least a master's, if not a PhD. So there's just a smaller pool of these people in the, mm. you know, in the first instance as well. Um, and you know, data is 
ever more prevalent, you know, chat GPT and everything in the AI space, you know, everyone wants to do something with the data now. Um, so yeah, there, there, there probably are more data roles still. But I, I would say on the data roles, interesting that you've got me thinking about it now. I think where we're seeing the influx of the roles at the moment probably isn't on the front end kind of manipulating with the data so much at the moment, but it's more on the engineering side. Yeah. So it's actually, you know, getting the data from your from your data lake, cloud, wherever you want to. And the engineering pipeline piece at the moment is, I think a lot of people are kind of setting up their data engineering pipelines to be able to do something with it in the future. Okay, so it's stuff under the bonnet, moving yeah. the data around. Okay. What about what about the recruitment market? I'm interested in your view on that uh, in terms of how do you think that's going to evolve over the next sort of five, 10 years and how's technology going to impact on that yeah it's a really good question um it's finger in the air time isn't it, it I, is. I think that's what we do you know <laughs> yeah. literally I, when when chat gpt came out and uh, and a few other tools i was like well this might be the end of recruitment right it's time to get farming again or something um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's it's a real tricky one i mean the, the tech recruitment landscape actually is a real myriad of things because there's so many other recruitment companies um, mm. there's lots of internal recruitment teams and people doing it directly um, there's a lot of these software kind of platforms now that um, profess to do a lot of um, direct sourcing for people as well. Mm-hmm. So again, as an organization, you know, as a company, you, you would pay a software as a service kind of, you know, payment to one of these, um, you know, one of these software providers to do, to allow the recruitment to kind of happen for you. Um, so it's a real mixture, to be honest. I think certainly within, within the technology space, I see more and more automation coming into the mundane kind of day-to-day tasks mm. um, but a, a computer or robots always going to be better at doing those type of tasks better faster you know they're not going to make the mistakes that humans do so I, I think the industry needs to go more well needs to go away from the transactional side more towards the value okay and so actually the, the bit that I've been saying to our teams is like where do we actually get our superhuman kind of powers back where where's our real value add and that's actually with the customers um, really understanding what they're looking for spending more time face to face actually you know getting off our backsides and getting back out there again instead of sat behind your computer just mm. actually sending emails and, and doing that transactional kind of piece I think I think that bit will die and anybody who continues to do that side of things both internal or, or external will will lose it but the people who adopt the technology mm. move with it and then yeah. add your human bit to it will probably be the ones that will that will take it to the next level and do you see more i guess of the is it the gig economy we call it in terms of using fiverr and other marketplace platforms to connect resources yeah and that's a really interesting one isn't it so fiverr actually i've had to play with it myself so mm. uh, when i was looking at you know some resource to do some small design stuff um i can see it happening i, I think that there is i mean the actual recruitment agency market is is a bit ripe for disruption actually mm. um because i think we're, we're behind the market in a lot of ways um so the, the person who works it out and ties it all together potentially could do very well from it. But it, it is incredibly distributed. And I think there's also a, a little bit of a human psychology element to it, that people like speaking to people um, and don't necessarily trust in platforms for when they're making the biggest, one of their biggest decisions in your life. So, you know, if you look at myself, I've only really ever had about four proper jobs, <laughs> you know, yeah, take, yeah. Take, yeah. take away moving bottles in a factory when I was like, 16 or something but i haven't had lots of jobs so actually when you're looking for a new role it's, it's a 
really big decision. Um, and I don't think people are quite there yet with that fully automated piece. They still like to to speak to another person. Mm. You know, I think about senior people that I know who are in like CIO level roles or you know program director roles, and they'll when they're looking for a new role, they'll give me a call and a few other trusted people, and they will go out and explore the open market and apply for adverts. But they'll always ring somebody up as well because they want to sort of check what the market's like. They want mm. to understand yeah. things. So I think there's still there's still value in that in that human interaction piece. Is that the, I guess, the key tool for you in terms of your network or is it, is it the likes of LinkedIn as a platform to find people or how, how do you connect yeah, it's a really good, to the right roles? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. Um, and I think, so in terms of the question you asked has got a few different meanings for me because my role's slightly different within the business mm. but you know in terms of actually connecting people um to roles yes we we use so we will use linkedin spend a blooming fortune on linkedin yeah, yeah. um yeah and and linkedin is very good um but strong network you know i've got 20 years experience the other two chaps that i've um started the business with they've both got about 20 years experience as well. So we've got, you know, our, our black books of connections. But in reality, when you actually look at where you place people from, a lot of it's from online job boards as well. Mm. Um, so, and, and that changes and the return on investment that you get from that changes as well. Um, so it, it's, it, it is a bit of a mixture, but I think there is more of this. So LinkedIn's an interesting one because it's, the way we've used it to find people has very much been for our, or, or in the last kind of five years has very much been a LinkedIn recruiter platform. So for those people who don't know listening, you know, you can actually have a LinkedIn recruiter license where you can go and actively kind of headhunt people, I suppose, through the, mm. through the platform. You still have to message them. Um, but it's a very expensive kind of platform. But if you look at the way that the platform's changing, it's going a lot more social now. It's a very close to an Instagram kind of model now, mm. you know, and you guys all know this, you know, you get your followers up, get your connections up. And actually the way that you position yourself and put your content out drives people to you. And, and I can see a lot more on that from the, on the candidate space happening as well. So whilst that's a good way to acquire customers, I can see that that will be a good way to, to kind of acquire candidates in the future as well. So I think everything is changing and I, and I do see more of the social platforms may be the way to attract candidates in the future. I have to say it's powerful for us. I mean, we, we do recruitment using LinkedIn in terms of we, I guess, cut out the middleman and yeah. do go direct to people. And I think the content that we put out there, the podcasts, yeah seven times out of ten it's mentioned during the recruitment process people yeah. do seem to pick up on it and hopefully it's perceived as a good thing <laughs> <laughs> you saying james around how um uh, recruitment recruitment sector is ripe for disruption what was uh, not specifically but are there any particular areas where you think actually if this area is, you know, needs to be disrupted to add more value to our clients and candidates. Yeah, so it's an interesting one. Um, so I think, look, there are other companies 
doing this out there but one of the things we've looked at doing um and, and we have got it's one of our guiding principles is that we give all of our candidates feedback and i know that sounds silly and every candidate should get feedback but i think within the recruitment industry actually the vast majority of companies don't give everybody feedback and i think that's also the case within a lot of organizations as well and, and when i mean everybody we mean absolutely anybody who applies now it might be that you're not going to get uh like a huge amount of feedback if you're if you've sent I don't know let's give an example a business analyst sends a CV in for a project management role mm. unfortunately they're not going to be right because they don't have the, the relevant skill set but at least they deserve an answer back to say thanks for applying unfortunately you're not right and here's a something else yeah, it might closure be. closure exactly it's a not knowing piece so uh, that isn't necessarily disruption but it's certainly something that I believe passionately that the industry is really bad at and it's something we've put in as a guiding principle within our business that every single person gets feedback um, the industry as a consultancy kind of in, uh, industry or the agency industry is very sales focused as well so and I'm sure you guys know the way that it works is that people, consultants get commission based on the placements they make. So they'll get a little cut of how much the business makes on each one. So it's a direct sales model. And there isn't necessarily anything wrong with that from a motivational point per se, but it can lead to slightly strange behaviors and you'll know yourself from a sales perspective. So again, one thing we've got to look to do, we, we've changed that to be more of a customer kind of centric piece. So actually our consultants are incentivized by their customer centricity scores. Um, so again, that's something that we've looked to change in there. So that this is what we've done personally. That's a mini kind of disruption. Um, if you take it from a much larger perspective, look, it's basically connecting people together. Mm. And the model's been the same for ages. So, and, and there are software companies that are trying to disrupt it. Um, you know, how do you connect all these people together? How do you join the dots in it? And, you know, a lot of them have been kind of algorithm based and I'm sure somebody will get it to a certain point where it's probably a little bit more intuitive than it is now. Um, and again, if there's some kind of human face in there, um, and there's loads of ways that it can be be kind of disrupted. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's it's a really interesting one. I, I think um, years since I've, you know, um, I had to apply for a, a role, thankfully. <laughs> he hasn't told me anything different yet. <laughs> but, um, but, but in all seriousness, one of the things I found you know, I pride myself on the relationships that I develop with my with my clients and with you know yeah. the internal stakeholders. Um, and one of the things that frustrated me way back when was that you know it was like you know uh, we you will not get a response uh, you know unless you're successful. And it's like you know what, fine. But for me to then be able to go all right, you know, because sometimes you know you you see the classic, you think do you know what. 90% of that role I can do with, you know, standing on my head and there's 10% teach me yeah. and I'll deliver you an awful lot of value. But because there's either computers or people going, yeah, no, you don't tick that last box. So you're not, you know, you're not worthy. It's like actually just that bit of feedback for people that are looking for roles, I think it's extremely important. And you've got, to, you know, so what you're saying that, you know, uh, Exalted do, I think brilliant because I think it, there's nothing more than just someone going, do you know what, I've had closure on that one and I just need to sharpen up on that or do a course or do something. And, and, and that was part of it as well. That, that's very much that. There was a, a number of ways that we kind of looked at this. And, and one of the things that that we kind of looked at was, so our strapline is people, people-centric recruitment, consultancy and, uh, and coaching. Um, and it was looking at the relationship you've got with your customer 
Um, so clearly you need to deliver. You need to find the right people for your customer. If you, if you can't do that, you're not gonna get paid any money yeah. and, and they're not gonna think that you're any good anyway. Um, you need to treat your candidates incredibly well. You know, look, for every role you've got, you might have 100 people apply. Well, only one person is going to get that job. So what about those 99 other people? What are they saying about you? How are you treating them? And how would you like to be treated yourself? Um, and then also your employees as well. So so actually, how are you treating your employees? Um, you know, unfortunately, the last organization I worked for didn't necessarily treat certain people very well. Um, and, then, and that was one of the reasons why I left. And so, um, again, I've got a big bugbear that you need to treat people incredibly well because you're not going to grow a great company unless you've got great people working working with you as well. So that was kind of core to our kind of foundation of what, what we're looking to do, really. Um, you know, and it sounds really simple, but I think it's doing the small things really well consistently and look we will get it wrong and there definitely yeah. will be you know problems at times but it's trying to do those little things right all the time to actually make a make a big difference and actually have people be promoters of your business because mm. you know that's a great marketing tool if you can get everyone to say look we've had a great experience absolutely i'm intrigued james also around your uh, different approach to um incentivizing your team yeah um so i'm in sales you know i've got targets i've got commissions yep. and, and things like that in fairness i'd like to think that doesn't impact what i think i do right for my client and yep. for our for the business obviously the, the two need to, to to marry up so how was it taken when you started the business and you're right well, this is how we're going to do it it needs to be customer centric how was that yeah taken? so it's an it's an interesting one and i think so we've gone with what I would probably describe as a hybrid model and over time whether we move to a, a full model is yet to be determined cool. but we'll kind of I'll kind of talk through it so the and without giving any the tra internal yeah, trade secrets away on it but so we still have a classic kind of commission model so there is still so if somebody places somebody into a business and that business pays exalto some money then that salesperson will still make some money for for that placement but what we've done as a business which is slightly different is that we've committed to giving away 10 percent of the company profits each year back to the employees um, as long as they hit certain metrics and so those metrics are based they, they still have to hit a certain percentage of their their sales target um, but the other part is completely on customer and candidate feedback scores so it's a bit like a net promoter type yeah, type yeah. scores so it kind of keeps them honest through the year of the fact that they're actually treating people in the best possible way and upholding this customer-centric approach that we've got. Because one of the problems we, we looked at or I looked at is the fact that if you have this great customer-centric kind of ethos from the outside, but we still use a very classic mm. sales model inside, are consultants going to be incentivized to do the right behaviors? So you have to change the business process systems to actually align with the values of the organization. Yeah. Um, we, we did actually think of going completely customer centric with it and just on your, your scores. But one of the things we looked at when we modeled that or one of the thoughts, I don't know, <laughs> trying to think of a better way of saying it is what we didn't want really is amazingly customer centric people who are having the best conversations with people but aren't actually placing anyone and making the business any money. Mm. Um, you know, I, I think somebody called it, um, we don't want a bunch of weed smoking hippies in this mm. laissez-faire type. Because so, it wouldn't be a high performing business yeah. then as well. So we've gone with the hybrid model. Look, um, it's, a new, it's a new setup, it's a new business. We haven't 
done it before. So it's it's to be proved. But is, is the customer satisfaction metric, if you like, is that as a team or is that no, it's an, an individual it's a, level? An individual level. Um, and it's measured kind of regularly, both with um, customers and the candidates that they're engaging with, and not necessarily just ones that they're placing as well. Okay, so there's 10% of the profit goes in that pot. They get access to their slice of that 10% if they yeah. hit certain customer yeah. satisfaction metrics. Yeah, interesting. You, you're right. From from our experience, we're, you've got to try and incentivize the right the right behaviours. Um, and it, you you're right. It's got to be a combination of performance and yeah. ultimately profitability, but also make sure that customers are happy and that, that can be, finding the balance is, uh, can be a challenge at times. But yeah. I, I'm intrigued in terms of probably going back to the market, but as it stands today, would you say it's, a, I guess, a recruiter market or would you say it's a candidate market? Because 12 months ago, it was very much a candidate market. I think it's fair to say you could almost name yeah. your price. Definitely, is definitely. It, um, where are we at the minute? It depends, yeah. <laughs> and, and it depends on what job role you've got. So I would say if you are a, so probably if you're in one of the business change kind of areas, so project manager, business analyst, um, if you're head of department, it's probably more a recruiter employee market. Um, if you're in a tech discipline, one of the ones we mentioned earlier, so it could be software development, could be data, could be AI, you probably still can pick um, that, that's probably fair. So, and, and you can see that in the behaviour of the, you know, the people we've got working for us. So, you know, in the morning, we, we know that there's a great new software developer available. Mm -hmm. Everyone's going right. Welcome. We've got about ten companies we can send it to. <laughs> um, but if, if, uh, and, and sorry to all the project managers out there, but if we have a project manager apply, no one's jumping around really. It's more okay. Which project? Which companies do we know? Where can we find a place? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And. I'm going to get two different answers to this question, I think, then. But so if, if you had a role today that was, let's say, a software developer in Leeds, yeah. how many candidates are you expecting to go for that, roughly? Depends on the, it depends on the, it depends, it depends on the language, the skills, uh, you, yeah. you know. Um, I would say if you look at our metrics, we're probably getting two or three for each role at the moment. Okay. So more than we were this time last year. But there are certain organisations we deal with. If you find one person, they will take, a person so yeah. yeah and and same question but for project manager ba we're talking uh, again several again similar to mm. uh, so uh, sorry on the flip side so when i said similar i meant ba and, and project manager um you could easily probably have 20 now right. now now will they be of the same caliber and it really depends i mean look one project manager is not the same as another project manager. Yeah. It's very different in different organizations yeah. and, you know, depends exactly on the, on the skill set and what you're looking for. But there just are a lot more people available, mm. you know. And I think that's probably, there, there is a little bit to do with, you know, how many large change and transformation programs are there, you know, kicking off at the moment in flight, you know. Um, I'm We're certainly seeing more contractors become available. Um, you know, I, I would have said, this time last year, you know, there was certainly a higher proportion. And work. are you seeing, remind me what's happening with IR35 actually, is that is that coming to force <laughs> now in the private sector and are you yes, seeing that oh, change yeah, the market? Yeah, a good couple of years ago now. So yeah, so yeah, the, 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 yeah as, as people know, the, the um, 
the onus went onto the organization to make the determination rather than on the individual. And that came in a few years ago now. Um, that did impact the market. It, it depends on the market and industry. So certain industries, finance were one that, that actually took, by and large, took quite a carte blanche approach to it and put a lot of people inside. And okay. a lot of organizations were, um, should I say, advised by certain large organizations that this might be the, the most, um, or the safest way to do it, or you know, the easiest way to mitigate the risk was just put everybody inside. Um, interestingly though, lots of organizations didn't go down that route and, and I've seen it reversed in a number of companies as well. So, you know, it, it, it's a really tricky one because it depends on your customer base. Um, when I was in my last role um, prior to this, um, we, we had, you know, a, a quite a large number of contractors running and I would say probably 60 to 70% were outside still. Right. Um, so still quite a high number, to be honest. You see, so you're still seeing plenty of people going down the route of becoming yes. self-employed contractor. Because there, there was a lot of talk before I offered, if I came in, so that this would be the end of that kind of role. But yeah. that's not happened. I think these, these, these are the doom mongers and yeah. the, um, you, you know, the, the accountancy companies who, who want people to go inside and they make a little margin on it. Um, and no, I don't think it'll ever go away. I mean, if you look at any other organization, any other organization, sorry, I mean, any other country where they've implemented similar rules previously, because yeah. lots of them around the world have, we right. just happen to be a little bit late to the party on it. It hasn't stopped contracting at all. Um, you know, in, in the classic old school way of contracting where you have your own limited company and it's a business to business relationship that still goes on um you know and in in many ways if it's set up in the right way with the organization and you have the right liabilities indemnities deliverables risks in there there's no problem um you can be outside of IR35. yeah you can be outside of i35 and be a contractor as long as you've got the right setup in place i yeah. think you know it's not just contractually you need to actually be making sure you're living and breathing it as an organization mm. um you know um but th there's also it's not going to stop the need for temporary labor or however you want to call it is temporary or contract labor. You know, there are going to be projects where you need people to come in and deliver certain pieces and mm. pieces of work. Um, okay. And last bit for me, um, about, we talked about recruitment, what about retention? So how, how are you seeing businesses keep hold of talent? Are there certain, is it back to salary or are there other things, other ways that people are achieving that? Really good, really good question. This, um, and I, I think a lot of some organisations have got it brilliant. It have really, really understand it, and others don't. Um, I've looked at a lot of the theory of this because I've I've had it both kind of internally when we've been losing people in teams, and I mm. think some of that is you know it's been cultural, and then you know some of it is clearly around re rewards and recognition. Um, you know, me personally, I think when you look at something, so I don't know if you've come across like Gallup and like mm, the Gallup, yeah, yeah. you know. We, we do it here. Yeah, it here. so, and it's, you know, for anybody who doesn't know Gallup, like the, the 12 steps of like employee engagement is a fantastic way, I think, to kind of look at ways that, that try and retain people, you know, and if you go through everything in there, it pretty much rings true whatever you look at in the market. Um, clearly, 
if somebody comes in and offers you double the salary for doing the same job in the same location, mm. you know, people have got mortgages to pay. There's there's going to be a, a question had there, you know. Um, but I think a lot of the things that, that people neglect outside of salary and benefits are around the kind of career progression, actually having really clear, transparent steps of, of how to progress within an organisation, you know, really strong communication. You know, is the culture great? You know, do you have a best friend at work? You know, all of these kind of good mm. things around it, um, I, I think are missing in a lot of organisations. Um, I, I think development as well, you know, especially when the market gets a little bit tough. Learning, so classically, marketing budget, budgets get slashed, learning and development budgets get kind of slashed. And that's sometimes when people like wobble a little bit. So mm. part of the stuff I've been doing on the, the kind of, I've called it exec coaching, but it's business coaching and it's coaching with individuals. Is like, you know, that type of approach can certainly help people feel like that they're more engaged and um, uh, and they're looked after by their by their employer. Um, you know, that, that's something we're doing actually in our business. We give coaching to everybody, but we offer a service as well. But it, it doesn't have to be that. It can be training of any kind, you know, yeah. to help people get to where they want to get to and like it feels like somebody's got their back really and I, and I think th these are the type of things that that I've seen get neglected I mean clearly there are companies that do it amazingly well and have great retention you know they, they really understand it but a lot of organizations don't I think really useful and, and this is my last question um so the podcast is called tomorrow's workplace today yep. so we ask all guests cast your mind forward 10 years and what does the workplace of, of 10 years time look like what does it look like describe that to me uh, well, if it's going to be my workplace, I'm going to be sat in a, well, sat in a lodge, in a <laughs> in a mountain, snowboarding in the winter and <laughs> and biking in the summer. I think it's going to be a global workforce, a bit like this digital nomad type piece where people are choosing where they want to want to live. Interestingly, something that I think may well happen is I think that we might find jobs getting shared, actually. So there's a big share culture at the moment um, coming into a lot of things within, certainly within the younger generations where you're looking at like apps where you share things and split things. And, and I think that actually there might be a job share culture that comes in where you, there's a lot of people, interestingly. So, so very quickly, my, my wife struggled to get back into work after having kids because she was a, it, she worked in sales, hotel sales, and there's loads of travel. And the, and the travel meant that she couldn't get back into it. Strangely, the pandemic cut that and now mm. she's back in hotel sales. But a lot of her um, kind of friends and, and ex-colleagues have been in a similar, similar space. And a lot of them talk about they'd love to be back in work, but they can't because of childcare or what have you. And actually having some kind of split kind of job splits with good quality individuals i can see that happening and i see that people want more free time so you know it's maybe something naturally that will just evolve over time I like it we've not had that one before love it brilliant james thank you for joining us thanks really, really guys appreciate it yeah, yeah. Excellent.